Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Jean Bresson. I'm Khadija Bootwalking. We're two child and adolescent psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. And today we're going to be discussing the difficult, uh, beyond difficult, uh, conflict uh, in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. With the increasing horrific news that's being reported daily, we think it's really super important to discuss healthy, effective ways to cope, both for parents themselves as well as the young people that they care for. Uh, as always, we'll start our own quick mental health check-in. So, Khadija, how are you doing this week? Doing okay. Um, I mean, I think the reason why we've gathered today and decided to talk about this because it is stressful, and um, I think it's been difficult to get through the week. Um, and then the time changed, and I was off by an hour until about one o'clock yesterday afternoon because my phone didn't reset. So you know, the week is going to turn around because it's Monday. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> How about you? Oh, it's been pretty awful. Um, I mean, everybody in my family is just fine and and, and healthy and. So it's not been awful for that. It's just it's just that I've been really affected by uh, by the news and by Ukraine and by um, what I've seen on TV. Plus, I saw two films. I mean, the good news is I saw two films. One was extraordinarily uplifting, and one was kind of a little on the dark side. But anyway, I saw, uh, if you haven't seen it, Coda, it's wonderful, and and I also and last night I saw the Power of the Dog, which is brilliant, but at sometimes upsetting, but quite quite brilliant. Two new see, films. I didn't see either of those movies, but I did see Dog, which I loved and made me want to get a dog. I haven't seen that. What 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 is that? It's the movie about this, I think, ex-army um, ranger who was put out because he had traumatic brain injury, and then he has to transport his uh, former partner's dog to the family, and it was a dog who also had been in a lot of um, combat, and so he was kind of a traumatized dog, but in the end, the dog just needed love and time and affection, which is really, to me, was the moral of the story, because once the guy learned to kind of talk to the dog and be warm with the dog as opposed to kind of ordering the dog around. Um, they bonded, which, you know, pets just bring so much joy and warmth to your life. And I think that movie just reminded me of, of how much my house is screaming for a pet. Go get one. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a second one. Uh, uh, my, my dog is now, gosh, she's like a year and, six or seven months um so wow. she's a she's a little a little immature uh i mean she's made completely obedient and 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 uh, but but she needs a little containment so i'm going to wait until the end of the summer or early fall and get um another one dogs I are like pack at the dogs are pack animals they really need each other so anyway um uh, so let's 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 start. Um, it, it's hard to know where to begin, but let let's just begin with some basics. So, 
how do kids of different ages react to this kind of a crisis? I, I wonder before we start there, because I think both you and I mentioned about how tough it was for us this week about uh, in terms of just watching the news and hearing all the horrific events. I think before we can even think about how we support and help our kids, we have to really make sure that we are taking care of ourselves and, and, and a, being attuned to how we're feeling um, and how we're processing all that what's going on. So I think really taking the time to manage and control our anxiety by, you know, uh, engaging in self-care, you know, getting enough information, but not overloading ourselves with information um, and making sure that we are connected to people um, who care about us and who support us. So I think really making sure we take time to think about ourselves so that we can best support our kids is really important. Um, and then I think like you, we can kind of jump into, I guess, some thoughts about how we support or how we, how our younger kids kind of express their, their stress and at the different ages. Yeah, I think just to amplify on what you said, I think it's super important. You know, all the all the research shows that um, uh, if parents uh, are anxious, sad, depressed, angry, if they're if they're emotional, if there's a high level of emotion, um, they have a harder time uh, helping their kids. It's kind of like we've said this in many different podcasts. Uh, you know, uh, when the flight attendant says, "Put the oxygen mask on yourself first, and then help the person next to you. It's so pertinent, and um, uh, I think you're absolutely right. So, so how each of us controls our own feelings, but kids will pick up on it. So, you know, we've got to be honest, and we've got to say, you know, yeah, you can sense that I'm upset, um, but um, uh, we'll manage this. We can manage this. You know, we can get through this. And then you can uh, begin to have conversations with kids at different ages uh, uh, and, and look for their reactions. So let's start with the youngest. What, 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 you know, what do we do with, how do preschoolers react? Uh, and and, and how, do we, how do we talk with them? I think when we think about preschoolers, I think they are the probably the most sensitive to, to what what's going on with us. Um, they they look to us and they take their cues from us. I think in a way that is um, different from the older kids. But I think really remembering that they just want to feel safe and contained, and so they might um, express their kind of worries and fears not so much through. Uh, direct words, but maybe through some of their behaviors or changes in behaviors. So they might be a little bit more clingy. They might be a little bit more irritable. They might be talking about things that kind of indicate to you they're a little bit more anxious than they normally are. So I think with the younger kids, you want to really limit and minimize the media and exposure to, to what's going on. Um, and then again, because they're so attuned to what we're doing, just pay attention to what we're saying and who, you know, who we're, where we're having these conversations. So we don't want to express in a really expansive way, like our deepest, darkest fears in front of them over on the phone um, while they're listening. Um, but again, like you said, we, they, we do want to be honest because we're not experiencing this in a vacuum. Like we're all experiencing it together. Um, so cuddle with them, play with them. Um, you know, I think these are the things that that I, will be helpful for the younger kids. Uh, what about school-age kids? They're, they're, they're a little bit different too. They're like right in the middle between the, the preschoolers and the teenagers. Yeah, school-age kids are uh, a, a bit um, uh, more advanced, um, yet they're thinking in a very kind of concrete way. 
they think in all or nothing terms, good guys versus bad guys, love versus hate, you know, uh, living versus dying. Um, uh, and, and they, they, um, uh, if they, if they're upset, uh, I have some ideas about how to talk with them, but the way they express it is generally by, um, irritability, difficulty sleeping, problems paying attention, maybe a little bit of oppositional behavior, uh, stomach aches, headaches, you know, physical complaints are not uncommon at all. Uh, and oftentimes they'll, um, ask repetitive questions over and over and over and over again. Um, and they'll work things out through play. So if you see them acting as, you know, uh, first responders, as army guys, as, as, uh, and they're doing, they're playing it over and over again. Uh, let them, it's not actually, um, a sign that they're, uh, obsessed or that they're stuck, but, uh, repetition is extremely important for school age kids and and um how to talk to them first of all uh find out what they know you know uh what have you heard about the war in ukraine where did you hear about it and 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 uh what are your worries these are open ended questions what are your what are your worries what are your concerns because we can't provide what's necessary next which is you know, reassurance, correcting misperceptions. We can't even validate their feelings or listen, which is what we need to do, unless we know what they're worried about. And so, uh, but you know, kids of all ages, you know, they hate meetings. They hate. They hate these. They hate you know having. All right, we're going to sit down and have a little talk. You know, eye roll. Uh, forget it. But you could talk with them in the car. You can ask these questions. You know, when you're cooking, you can ask these questions you know, uh, in between the cracks. Uh, so I, I would definitely do that. I, I'd let them, I'd reassure them they need reassurance. Many school-age kids don't know where Ukraine is, for all they know. It's in the next county, um, and the bombs are going to drop on them. They need to know that it's very, very far away. They need concrete um, scenarios. You know, there are more good people in the world than there are uh, bad. And um, we have full faith that our leaders and leaders all over the world who are uniting, um, and you know, they're uniting in many different ways to actually help take care of this problem and help end it. And for them too, like you suggested about the preschool kids, uh, turn off the media. I mean, school-age kids are going to get their fair share of media one way or another. But, but, you know, so many of our homes are filled with smartphones and tablets and TVs and radios. And, you know, uh, it, it's, it's the best policy to just basically, especially for the school-age kids, to um, just turn it off and reassure them. And, and sometimes it's, it's helpful. A couple other things. One is it's helpful to tell family narratives. They lo kids love stories. Right, so school-age kids love, love, love you know, stories like "Good Night Moon," "Velveteen Rabbit," "Nightmare in My Closet." I can think of a bazillion them, but you know, they, they, um, and more advanced stories, but they do love narratives. So telling them, reminding them of family narratives of how we, our community, have gotten through hard times, whether it's a hurricane or whether it's you know a wildfire in California or, or something, that, um has been a hardship and we've gotten through it. 
and um, we're sure that folks will get through this. So that's that's often an important thing. Uh, any other thoughts about school-age kids, Khadija, before we turn to the teenagers? No, I think that is that covers it. I, I think, I guess, the only other thing that, that we, we didn't mention is for the for all of them, really, I think trying to maintain the structure and routine that we have is also going to be really important to having them feel, you know, contained and safe. Um, but I, I think the narratives is really important. And we probably don't talk enough about that. And that can yeah. be helpful for the school age and the teens. Um, and the teens are, I think, is where it can be a little bit more nuanced. Um, they, they have, you know, often a more developed vocabulary. Uh, and this is where you really have to, and, 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 and in all of the groups, like know your kids, like you, you're the expert on your child, you know what their um, triggers are, you know what they're sensitive to. And so you, you gauge how much you share and what you share and when you share it um, based on, you know, what you know about your, your, your kid. Um, but you can talk more openly with, with the teenagers. Um, you can have more of a more engagement around watching the news and, and, and experiencing some of what's going on in the media together and talking through it that way. Um, I mean, I love the, the talking, uh, would you say in between the cracks, because I think really just being um, creative and thoughtful about where we have these conversations and how we have them. Like you said, no one wants to have or be called to a meeting, um, but there's so many opportunities to have conversations um, about what's going on. Uh, their friends are talking about it. I'm sure it's coming up in school. And so just really, you know, hearing from them, like, what are, what, what are you learning about it at school? What are, what's, what are your friends thinking? And, and kind of taking it from there and talking about it um, from the standpoint of your family, your family values, and, and, and reassuring them around what you're doing to keep them safe. Um, and, and teenagers might want to um, rally and do something. They might want to contribute. They might want to give back and they might want to support. Um, and so helping them think through how they can do that in a way that's safe and that kind of conveys whatever the messages they want to send. So whether it's support, whether it's focusing on a specific group, but helping them figure out how they can contribute and feel like they are uh, they're, they're exerting their autonomy. I think those things are, are different, uniquely different for the teenagers versus the, the other groups. Um, but I think also with this group, just like all of the groups, we do need to, to, to limit how much media we, we are exposed to because uh, it, it does weigh on you. Well, it doesn't just weigh on you. I mean, uh, there's a lot of information to show that, that um, uh, media exposure uh, and, and, and the subjects that have been studied are teenagers um, can cause PTSD. I mean, it happened with 9-11. It happened even for kids who were not in New York. Uh, it happened uh, with the Challenger disaster. It happened with the Oklahoma bombing. It happened with uh, all kinds, uh, the, the Boston Marathon. I mean, all the studies have shown that, that teenagers are especially prone to getting uh, stressed by seeing this. Uh, the other thing, I think, two other things that I want to mention about teenagers. One is, is that... Um, Right now, the Surgeon General and other other national groups have called this a, a youth mental health crisis. Uh, teenagers are more depressed, stressed, ang anxious, lonely uh, than ever before, uh, and and, and uh, much of this began pre-COVID. So, more depressed, anxious, lonely, stressed, uh, and suicidal than ever before, and then COVID hits. Their life is put on hold for two years so that they their development is essentially arrested. Now, that doesn't mean they can't make it up. They can. 
That's the good news. But the tough thing for them is that, okay, so there's the pre-COVID mess because they're facing, they were facing economic downturn, environmental change, Black Lives Matter, hashtag me too, hashtag never again. I mean, all of that stuff. And then they couldn't pursue it. I think that's super important to remember. And then COVID hits and they miss the prom and they miss social life and they miss separation and they miss getting out on their own. And they, and, and, and now picking up after this, uh, we have this Ukraine uh, situation. So it's, it's pretty scary for teenagers. So I, I think everybody listening should be extraordinarily sensitive to that. And I want to add to that. I mean, I, I don't want to be Dr. Doom or Dr. Gloom, but I want to mention. But, but here we go. But here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think we have to look at all of the variables. We have to look at what these kids are facing. So, you know, they're in fairly dire straits. But then it turns out that research also shows that kids who have certain temperaments, that is who are, kids are born with certain packages. Okay, they're born shy, they're born extroverted, they're born with persistence, they're born with um, uh, the, you know, ability to kind of like hold back. Uh, So these are called temperaments. And it turns out that timid, shy uh, kids can respond in a more uh, extreme way to these kinds of stresses. And kids who are more angry, irritable, uh, can respond in their own way with greater anger, hostility, aggression, when they're, um, because that's part of their wiring. So as we've said many times, and I think it's true, parents need to know uh, something about their kids, uh, who they are. They're the ex. You're the experts on your kids, you know. Um, so I, I, I take care of a whole lot of teenagers and young adults, uh, and some are the shy, timid variety, and some of the aggressive, impulsive ones. And it's it's I'm working really, really, really hard with them and their families to try to help them manage their emotions with techniques like meditation, with techniques like cognitive behavior therapy, uh, which which we have a lot on on the Clay Center site, with um, exercise, diet, nutrition, making sure that they get enough sleep, uh, and with other ways of containing their emotions, but also focusing on their thoughts. This is where cognitive behavior therapy comes in that are exaggerated, distorted, catastrophic. You know, like the, so, so cognitive behavior therapy, you have a trigger, which is say, you see something about Ukraine bombings and the cognition of the thought is it's the end of the world. We're all going to die, which is not true. And then the emotion is panic, anger, irritability. And the behavior is go up to my room and slam the door, whatever. Um, and the, the the technique is to imagine uh, two lawyers, one on each shoulder, uh, debating, or a devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. And you know, the devil says, "You know, we're done. The world's going to end." 
Someone says, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We've been through wars before. There's plenty of people working to try to settle this thing, to try to settle it down and contain it. And the one other says, nah, it'll never happen. It's happened before. I'm the angel. It's happened before. We can do it again. It's happened before. I mean, look, we got through World War One. We got through World War Two. You know, we've gotten through all kinds of bad stuff. So, and then the process of doing that alone, and with other people, and with other kids, and with family members, is a super useful tool to help quell the emotions. Because what you see is by debating the exaggerated, distorted, and catastrophic thoughts brings the emotions down. Well, I, I think that is really um, important because that part of why everything feels like it's on fire is because so many of us haven't experienced so, you know, we've never lived through a pandemic before. You know, so many of us have never lived through and watched a war take place before. And so we don't have that that uh, history to pull back on to say, you know, we've been here, done that, and we've we, we've gotten through it and we're okay. And so I think this is where the narratives come in and we talk about some of the things that even if we haven't overcome, if we didn't overcome them, you know, maybe, you know, we know people who have, or we could talk about how it's been done in history. But I think that that um, having that grounding to, to know, know that this can be done is really important and, and to be able to challenge those negative catastrophic thoughts. Um, but I think that is really why every everything just feels so uneasy and uncertain for so many people, because we just don't have that history to say that we've done this before and we've survived. But I think it really is important to to have those conversations and tell those stories so that we feel confident, I think, which is part of it, like that we feel confident that we're, we're going to be OK, um, because it really is about ch- changing your perspective. And so if I'm confident that I'm going to be OK, I'm looking at things on a much brighter, from a much brighter standpoint versus if I'm coming at it from a, I'm not sure, I'm worried that I'm not going to be okay. So I think that really is important in addition to pushing back on those thoughts, you know, changing the perspective from how you look at where we are. And I think when we talk about how do we support our kids and the buzzwords have been for the past year, year and a half, it's been self-care and resilience. And we've been spending a lot of time on talking about how to build resiliency in our kids. And, And I think you know, some of the things that we do talk about is, you know, making sure that they stay connected with peers and, and, and you know, trusted adults, making sure that they um, are doing things that give them a sense of purpose. And, and one of the big things that we talk about a lot is, is gratitude and thinking about what we um, have to look forward to, what we have to be thankful for, what, what things, you know, fill us up. And I think these are just a few things that we talk about in the realm of how do we help to build resilience in our, in our kids. And so I think that is all connected with, you know, pushing back on those thoughts, telling those narratives and and some other, um, there are tons of key elements to to resilience, but those are just a few. So let me, let me be uh, a Dr. Doom again. Oh boy. Uh, (laughs) They couldn't be Dr. Doom on the Weather Channel because, you know, I I think, because I did, I did, what did I do? I did hurricanes, wildfires, mudslides, and then during COVID, they asked me to come on and I thought, oh my, oh my, oh my, what are they going to ask me to do? And the, and the question was, should kids have a snow day? 
And I went, yay, I am not Dr. Doom. Yay, of course they should. Give him a break? What do you mean? Let him go out there and roll and play in the snow. Okay, anyway, but I, I, let, me come back to, let me come back to being Dr. Doom. So what happens in families uh, where, there's, where there's a disagreement about what should be done? Let's say that the, the parents and caregivers really disagree. Um, you know, one is looking to kind of, let's say, have a no-fly zone and use diplomacy and the other one and the, and, and the other partner says, nah, just give it to them. What do you suggest, Khadija? I mean, what happens when, when, when and, and they're going to be talking and the kids are going to be hearing and plenty of families have disagreements. I know my own, my own family has lots of disagreements about what, because nobody knows really what to do right now. So we're all kind of like conjecturing. We're all thinking about this out loud. Um, what do we do if there's conflict at home? I think that we have to bring back the civility and, and, and model for our kids how do we um, have respectful dialogue? You know, how do we listen to listen and understand how we are able to kind of express our our opinion and, and, and have a stance and still hear and make room and space for someone else's, even if it's different from ours. Um, it's an opportunity to model how do we, um, you know, manage and resolve conflict in a, in, a, in a peaceful, respectful way, which I think has been part of what, what kids have been uh, exposed to over the past several years, to people just not being able to resolve conflict and, and have differences of opinion and in a way that's respectful and, and, and that feels safe. And so I think, you know, modeling that it's okay. Cause I think this is where, this is where it gets tricky with kids that they feel like they can't come to us and talk openly. Um, and they, they are not allowed to have their own opinion. They're not going to come to us. And so we talk about having conversations and talking to our kids and knowing our kids and we can't do it if we don't create a platform that's safe and that is welcoming. And so if we can show that we can, ultimately agree to disagree and, and understand each other and validate each other, you know, it, it shows them that, that you too can have a conversation with me about something that you probably are pretty sure that I'm not going to agree with, but we can still have an open conversation about it and, and, and um, learn from each other. Cause we all have something to learn from each other. We learn from our kids all the time and they learn from us. Um, so I think it just presents another, yet another teachable opportunity um, that's so desperately needed in, in our, in our, in, in our world today. Yeah, I agree. And and we actually have a, a blog on the Clay Center site about having civil conversations, which is um, so important. Um, in some ways, it's been it's been a tradition in this country to kind of like we have disagreements. We have different ways of kind of seeing things and, you know, trying to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Uh, uh, even if you disagree, is really super important. There's another area that I wanted to bring up, and that is is that uh, there are a number of kids who know families who are Ukrainian, uh, uh, and and um, I think it's it's super important. Or even if you don't, there are Ukrainian uh, 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 groups in the United States, in your own state, in your own town. Uh, whether it's in church or whether it's it's a community group, 
that I think, you know, you mentioned the importance of contribution and giving is in fact better than receiving. I mean, it tweaks oxytocin, which binds us together in our brain. Um, so I, I think that, that kids can really feel that they make a difference by reaching out to these groups, sending a card, sending, you know, food, set, asking them what they need. Well, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't just send them things. We should just, what do you need? You know, sometimes they just need some support or a peer group. And sometimes they need uh, uh, fundraisers. They need, uh, uh, they need uh, all sorts of things. So I think that's another way we can, uh, we can, we can help them. Uh, and, and they're worried because, you know, imagine if you had family in the Ukraine or in Poland, right across the border, um, uh, it would be extraordinarily stressful for you to kind of like um, tolerate that uh, without peer support. And for, for teenagers especially, I think, and young adults, and, and parents, and adult, all of us, support, connection, engagement uh, are the foundations of resilience and and are the foundations of uh, providing help. So are there, is there anything that we haven't covered, Khadija, that you can think about? I just want to go back. You mentioned earlier about kids who, and, and how kids are wired differently, and maybe some kids who maybe are a little bit more vulnerable than others, and how important it is to know your kids. And I, and I think, I think it, when you know that, when you know, you know. And so if you know that your kid is more anxious and, and that, that, that this is what they do when they're anxious, or maybe they're being more irritable as a sign of them being stressed, then you can kind of intervene. And so I guess sometimes, you know, it's harder for those kids to, you know, articulate what's going on or express what's going on. And so I'm curious to hear what your thoughts about engage, engaging these kids in conversations. How do you get these kids to talk about what's going on so that you can support them um, in a way that they are looking to be supported? It's a great question. Um, you know, first of all, most parents know uh, that their kid is kind of timid, anxious, withdrawn, shy, uh, introverted, uh, uh, tending to get depressed. And, and which kid is, you know, oppositional, defiant, you know, distractible, um, uh, short-fused, crabby. I'm thinking of my twins. <laughs> we're now 33. I, I thought you were talking <laughs> about my son. Okay. Yeah. No, actually, <laughs> stereotypically, this is typical, and it's more common that girls are timid, shy, anxious. We don't know whether this is genetically wired and how much of this is socially reinforced. It's probably a combination of all of that. And boys that may be tending to be more uh, aggressive, uh, oppositional, defiant. But th that being said, forgetting about gender. I mean, I was thinking about gender because I was thinking of my twins. The boy is tends to be kind of crabby and, you know, ornery and pushback. And, 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 and his twin sister tends to be so sensitive and so... You know, she's not shy. She's actually she's actually very extroverted. Um, but you know your kid, and so 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 I think uh, start learning how to have conversations with them in ways that they can engage very early on. So some may say, "Well, it's too late now." They're you know like 
18, 25, you know, I'm in the 30s. It's never too late. But, but the earlier you start and you learn kind of how to engage them and you learn how to actually uh, work with them and you learn how to have frequent conversations and listen and validate and support them so that they feel that they're being heard and known, I think is a really, a really key thing. And the other thing is, is that if they're older, you know, uh, to help them develop some self-awareness about their typical reactions. You know, when you're upset, you know, you tend to flare. It's not a criticism. It's just, you know, the way you react, you know, it's kind of like, and then you can pick a few of other family members who react in certain ways and say, you know, you know, Uncle Joe, you know, Uncle Joe, you say the, he say things the wrong way and he's exploding. <laughs> Not like you, but you know, I mean, <laughs> but, but, but helping them, everybody I think really gets far if they're aware of their own traits, vulnerabilities, predilections, ways of responding uh, and, and, and they can, um, and you can work with them on that. And, you know, the other thing is in these situations, if your kid is reacting, uh, uh, in an impulsive or, uh, timid or shy way, you know, um, or, you know, uh, we, we hope this doesn't happen, but it, but it does reach for substances, whether it's tobacco or, or, or pot or alcohol to kind of, uh, cope, it, call your pediatrician to get a, 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 a psychological evaluation uh, because sometimes, you know, a professional that knows how to mediate, knows how to work with kids and families, that knows how to kind of help these conversations. Um, and sometimes it's easier to have these conversations if you have a, a, a professional who the kid uh, and the parents both trust. That's often a very useful thing to do. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't think of other things except, except, you know, we should, we should follow this up. We should, if, if anybody that's listening has some other thoughts or ideas or issues or problems with their kids, um, or other family members, you know, please let us know because we would love to uh, be able to kind of answer these things in our Q and A's, in our podcasts, uh, and, 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 and in our blogs. So, um, before we go, Khadija, what's something you're looking forward to this week? Well, I have a very small thing that I'm looking forward to. My, my Roomba bat battery came in, so I'm excited about replacing this battery and waiting for it to start sweeping the floor every night again. At wait, 9 30. Wait, 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 wait. Your room battery? My Roomba, my, my, my robot vacuum you have, cleaner. You have a These robot? A robot vacuum cleaner, yes, the Roomba. It goes around the floor. Jane, tell me that you know about a Roomba. No, I you don't have. have you, you own every electronic there is. You I, just I, about it. I own a lot of electronics, but most of them are musical or, or, um, or, or computer based. So oh I, 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 I don't, I don't have a robot. The I did highlight. get an, I, I did get two new vacuum cleaners, two two different kinds of ones. But <laughs> no, no, no. The highlight of my evening is often after dinner, the Roomba fires up and I hear it, yeah, and it goes around the floor. It just is like 
It's like music. It's like it's like elevated music. These wow. are the things you look forward to as an adult sometimes. My dog would probably <laughs> chase like, like a, my, my dog would chase it and, and just and just chew it up. No. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Or the cat. Or the cat oh, yeah. would. Yeah, but what you, okay. What are you looking forward to this week? Uh, actually, uh, the family is getting together. Uh, this this uh, Thursday evening, we're going to New Jersey. My sister lives in Maplewood, and my niece is having a bridal shower. She's getting married. So we've rented uh, an Airbnb where all of my kids um, will be and their kids you know, all eight grandchildren and all four kids. And, uh, and then we're going to hang out and we'll go to my sister's and we'll hang out and then we'll come home. It's going to be short. I mean, Maplewood's not that far. It's a four hour drive, but um, it'll be nice to have, you know, Friday, Saturday and Sunday morning breakfast. And then you make it, you know, it'll be a, a quick family reunion. So I'm a looking forward trip. to that. Yeah, nice. that's good. It's going to be great. So, well, thanks, everybody. Uh, we hope that our conversation helps you have yours. I'm Jean Bresson. That's Khadija Bruce-Watkin. We'll see you next time. Can you, can you hear the can you hear the sirens outside? No. No, I hear I what what I hear is I hear this thing that goes like I hear like really yeah it's weird an aquarium it it sounds like an aquarium like water dripping like the bubbles almost oh yes there's one right here oh really. And, it's, and it doesn't even have any fish in it because I just can't get my water together. So under the sea, under the sea, Jean, you know. Gene was like, it sounds like that's not what it sounds like. Gene sounds like peaceful <laughs> waterfall, like, like Bianca did. Like.